Church, um, at this time, let's go ahead and honor the veterans. Um, some of you may have served here in our armed forces. Uh, some of you may be watching online, or maybe we have loved ones in our households and family members. And so what we're going to do is we're going to go ahead and, and pray a, a prayer of gratitude and blessing over them. So let's go ahead and bow our heads, church. Father God, we thank you, Lord, that even as we experience uh, freedom to be able to come here in the, in the safety, Lord God, of this nation to be able to worship you. We know that that freedom, Lord, came at a price. And there are many, Lord, people here, whether they're related to or they themselves have served in our armed forces. We thank you, God, for the, the, the heart and the sacrifice, Lord, in which they poured out, Lord, to continue to protect the freedoms that we have, Lord God, and to protect the values of this country. And so we pray, Lord God, that you would bless them, you'd fill them, you'd give them, Lord God, a double measure of your grace working inside of them. Uh, for anyone that um, may be here that even have uh, obtained wounds, Lord God, that they still deal with, Lord God, whether it's physical or mental, emotional, we thank you, Lord God, that you are the God of all healing, you are the God of all peace, and we pray for your healing power to come, Lord God, and fill every area, Lord, in their bodies, in their minds, that, Lord God, that they are weak, Lord, we thank you that you make them strong, and so we are grateful, Lord God, for everyone. Of, of these men and women, Lord God, that have served in our armed forces, and we thank you, God, for their lives. Bless them, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, church, for praying with us, and uh, thank you for those of you who served in our military, and uh, thank you. We are so grateful for you and your life. Um, many of you who have served in the military, you have to go beyond yourself in being able to pour out and you know, serving alongside your brothers and sisters in arms, didn't think you could do what you did, but there's just people rallying around you that allowed you to, to step up the amount of sacrifice and courage that you maybe you thought you had, but you had to pour out even more. And so this series that we're in right now, we're in part two called Beyond, and that's the basic idea and premise that God has called us to live beyond our own lives and our own needs, our own desires, our own dreams, and to go even bigger and beyond that. And so last week, we talked about how even as we were coming from the series Made for Greatness, that the, the greatness God has put inside of us is for us to bear fruitful lives for other people to be able to see and enjoy. And, and we're all called to contribute in some shape or form. And this fruit is not just for us to just be able to pat ourselves on the back. And I, I said, the fruit is not just for us to taste because we don't get to taste it ourselves. A tree, when it bears fruit, is for other people to enjoy. And so we started off with that, that, that overarching idea that's going to encompass this series. But this is a very um, important topic today. We're going to talk about beyond our generation. Even as we were looking at the video of, of veterans, um, many times when you look at even the the men and women that fight for this country and to serve this country, when they go off to war, they're young. They're, some of them are barely teenagers uh, coming out of their teenage years. Many of them are young adults in their 20s when they go off to fight. And uh, so you think about the importance of the next generation. And so even going beyond, oftentimes we just think about our generation, whatever, whatever generation that may be here, right? We got, we got the baby boomers, uh, we got uh, Gen, the Gen X, we got uh, millennials, and then now there's the Gen Zs, and then there's the alpha generation now that are growing up and are in our grade schools. And so we have all these multiple generations, and we're talking about going beyond their generation. How do we bridge these generations together? And the great thing is we do it through the Word of God. The Word of God is timeless, and we're going to get into that in a moment but uh, some of you, maybe you're still reeling from the elections. Uh, this is, by the way, this is the pulpit where we talk about the Word of God, the eternal Word of God. And so whatever I'm going to say next is not meant to skew one way or another in terms of politics, uh, because we're here to focus on God. Amen. Uh, and so I'm not going to ask you which way you voted here uh, in the state of Hawaii. We could see we're a very blue state, a democratic state. But there's supposedly this red wave that was supposed to come. One, because historically, whichever um, parties in office and presidency usually see in the midterms that it swings the other way. And then two, because of just everything that's been going on in our country, 
there just seemed like there was this huge momentum for Republicans to take Congress, which is both the House and the Senate. Uh, but for those of you maybe who were following the news last night, uh, Nevada officially, uh, the, the senator is Democratic, and uh, right now I think it's tied, but basically the vice president, who is also a Democrat, uh, has the, the deciding vote. So basically the Democrats have the, have the Senate. Right, the House right now is still up for grabs. Um, it seems like the Republicans are winning, but bottom line is this red wave, right, where where the Republicans were supposed to take control of Congress, it didn't unfold like the way many people thought. Uh, whether you're Republican or not, even the pundits that are neutral thought that that was going to happen. So there's many reasons. You can look at the articles. There's many uh, finger pointing and blame. Well, it's because of this person endorsing those people and it didn't look good. There's, there's that. But then one thing that um, you cannot deny is this idea of the, the young people coming out to vote. That, that was something that people didn't factor in. They forgot about the young people. That when you're 21, you can go out and vote, and people forgot about that. And it, it, it changed the, the outcome of the election because, you know, oftentimes, many people are just politicking with their generation in mind. But they're not thinking about the young people. And so what we're going to talk about right now is this idea of the importance of reaching the next generation. Because you can see whether you're into politics or not. If we don't reach the next generation, you could see how if, if someone else is with the wrong message, with the wrong values, with the wrong truth, how our generation could easily change within a few years. And so when we look at Psalm 78, it echoes this sentiment and really all throughout Scripture. Because God is not just the God of our generation or this generation. The reason why even 2,000 years after Jesus walked the face of this earth, many of us in here are still so passionate about worshiping God is because somebody shared the truth of God to us. And you think about the many generations that have come before us so that we can have what we have today. So that we can pick up a Bible the, the amount of sacrifice that went into even just preserving this book, we can never truly fathom. So today we're going to look at Psalm 78. And it says, Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old. Things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us, we will not hide them from their children, but tell them to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and His might and His wonders that He has done. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which He commanded our fathers to teach their children that the next generation might know them the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep His commandments. Let's go ahead and open in prayer. Father God, we thank You, Lord, for Your eternal truth, Lord. And just as Your Word will never fade away, we thank You, God, that even as we receive your word today, we pray inside each and every one of us, we also receive, Lord, the calling, God, to preserve this word and to pass this word on to the next. And we thank you, God, for this time. Lord, allow your presence to come. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So what we see here in Psalm 78, talking about living beyond, is we are called to live beyond our generation. And for that to happen, we need to bridge the old and the new uh, we're going to revisit the beginning part of this psalm. Verse 2 to 4 once again says, I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old. First of all, these dark sayings, when I first read that, I'm, I, I got hung up on that, right? Like, what is this dark saying? Is it like some nefarious, you know, like evil thing? Like, that doesn't make sense. But when you study the, 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 the word use of dark in this passage, it means the hidden things. 
It means sometimes things can sound like a parable. And when you hear that, just like even in Jesus spoke in parables, it needs to be explained. And we need the Holy Spirit to receive it. And so that's what this means. And so when, even when it's a dark saying, you need someone coming alongside of you to be able to unpack and unearth. And so right off the bat, we see that just because we hand someone the Bible, it doesn't mean that they're going to get the Bible, but they need someone coming alongside of them that's filled with the Spirit to be able to unearth the truth that are in these sayings. And then it continues on, things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us, so the prior generation, and then we're talking about the current generation, we will not hide them from their children, which is the next generation, but to tell them to the coming generation in the glorious deeds of the Lord and His might and the wonders that He has done. So here's the good news, is we don't need to be relevant in the sense of making up things to attract the next generation to the Word of God, okay? Like some of us, we, we try to, like we got a high school teacher here, or a middle school teacher now, and, and it's like Jevin, half the time, right, or Mr. Gieb, if they call you that in class, or Mr. G, I don't know what they call, what do they call you? Mr. Gieb, okay. So it's, it's like, what are they speaking sometimes, you know, when, when the young people come into class, they, they speak in emojis now. You know, they don't even use words. They use pictures. It's like, what does this mean? And, and so, like, sometimes I hear my kids. I officially am a father of a teenager, became one official last year. My daughter became 13. Now she's going to be 14 in a month. Oh, my gosh, pray for me. And then I got three more young ones that are going to be teenagers soon. And sometimes I'm like, what are you talking about? It's like, no cap, Dad, but that outfit is mid. Actually, not even outfit. It's supposed to be fit. Right? It's like, I need a translator. What did you say? And then, and then, you know, some of us, we still think it's cool to say bling, right? Check out this bling I have. Oh, that's so old, Dad. You're so cringe. So you don't, you don't try to, just don't try, okay? When it says bridge the old and the new, it doesn't mean we need to speak like them and dress like them and like BTS, you know, music to, to relate to them. Like, that's, that's not what the scripture is saying, you know, some of us, we're just trying too hard in the wrong things. We don't need to try to be cool to be relevant for the sake of being relevant. But the truths and what God has already done, it's timeless. It's eternal and it's powerful. And there's nothing else, no matter how many years come after this earth, till this earth fades away and the new earth comes, will there ever be anyone or anything that can replicate what God has already done? Because God is the only one that has secured our freedom from sin. And we're going to talk about that in a moment. But, but just keep that thought there. Because sometimes we're stuck on that. I don't even know how to communicate with the next generation or even with the past generation. You know, we don't get each other. But that's a lie of the enemy. The enemy wants to divide. The enemy wants us to compartmentalize ourselves and not live beyond our own generation. So we think uh, the old people, they don't get it. The young people, I don't get them. And then, and then we just kind of are, are cloistered up in our own generation. But God has called us to live beyond. And here's um, some stats that is staggering. Barner Group, who does a, you know, he, it, the Barner Group is the national um, accredited research firm that, that studies just where, where is the health of our nation and where are we at? Well, 64% uh, of Christians polled, like former Christians, those that grew up in the church, 64% have left the church. So this is 18 to 29-year-olds that at, at one point were either in a youth group or grew up in a Christian household. 64%, and this actually is a, a stat from 2019. It's the most recent one I could find. So it, it probably is progressively worse because when I went to college, it was actually in the low 50s, in the early 2000s. And then, you know, Lexan told me that it's uh, also just a little bit beyond the late 1900s. So we're, we're, for those of, many of us in here, we're a product of the late 1900s. It's so sad. I, that makes me feel so old. But in the early 2000s, it was, that stat was, the statistic was a little bit over 50%. Those that had Christian upbringing left the church in their early 20s. 
Okay, now it's at 64%. So basically, if you look at our kids' church right now, we have about 20 kids right now learning about the Word of God. So out of that 20 kids, there's going to be about, maybe about 14 of them that leave the church later on when mommy and daddy aren't dragging them to church anymore. That is staggering. More than half of our kids' church is going to leave the kids or leave church and leave God's presence if this stat holds true with our church and if things don't change. So you can see that it continues to progressively get further and further away from God. Now, what the, the chart that you see, though, is, is it says what resilience looks like. So I love what the Barna group did. So instead of just focusing on the people that left, they're like, okay, well, what about the 26% that stayed? What made them stay rooted in faith? And so they asked these questions, and then this is the, these are the results. Okay, so the first thing that is really big is personally experiencing Jesus. So you see that in, the, in your top left. Wow, that's really blurry. Thank God I'm reading it to you. You're probably wondering, what's wrong with my eyes? <laughs> Did I drink too much last night? I hope not, but at least you're in church. Oh, there. Hey, it's a miracle. I see, I see men like trees walking around. Can you see it? That's, that's Jesus healed in phases, see? You sobered up. It's a miracle. <laughs> Come to church, you get sobered up. Okay, so, so the, the, your top left, it says, my, exp- my relationship with Jesus brings me deep joy and satisfaction. That's 89% of those that have stuck in their faith, right, never left the church, they're in their 20s, 18 to 29-year-olds, still worshiping God, is because they have a personal relationship with Jesus. This isn't just because of mommy and daddy's faith or grandma and grandpa's faith, but this is my faith, and that this Jesus I walk with, he's not a burden, he's a blessing, that I get joy from experiencing Jesus' presence in my life. Um, I love, I love this one in the same category, the 91%. It says, worship is a lifestyle, not just an event. This is big for those of us with kids in our households. Is it the only day that we pray and we worship God Sunday mornings in this nice one-hour window? Or do they see faith exercised outside of this Sunday experience of worship? Corporate worship is vital. We see it all throughout Scripture. But our personal walk with God is even more vital when you're talking about ministering to our children. Because if this is the only time they're hearing about God on a, in a Sunday experience as we come together corporately, that's not enough. And so for these, for, for these children that have stuck and now are young adults is because they saw that worship is a lifestyle, not just an event. So they're worshiping God because they saw mom and dad or grandma and grandpa or uncle and auntie or their neighbor worshiping God throughout the week. Cultural discernment. This is big uh, even, you know, in light of the elections. And I'm not going to get into too much of the issues and which, which uh, swayed Gen Z to vote the way they did. But there is a lot culturally that is so far from what we see God's standard in the Word of God now. So it says, the Bible teaching I receive in my church is relevant to my life, 86%. So that's big, right? That this is not just, you know, just about Bible stories, or neither is it just about, you know, God and Jesus, but that every day, how I live my life, that there is truth every day in which it guides my decision-making, in which it, it, it allows me to be able to handle issues at work, and so you see that in that whole category right there, cultural discernment. Uh, now let's go, back, let's go up to the other right, the top right corner, countercultural mission. This is so big. 90% says, I want others to see Jesus reflected in me through my words and actions. This is big. Because um, not in this chart, we see the reason why many people have left the church is because of the hypocrisy they see within the church. Right? And that's always going to be a thing because church is not for perfect people, but it's imperfect people worshiping a perfect God. Amen? And so in the church, there's always going to be hypocrisy, but no one ever explained that maybe and, and demonstrated, but we have a God of grace and a God of mercy. 
And yet in the hypocrisy, do we just stay where we're at? Or do they see what we said many times? And I'll say it again right now. This church is not about us being perfect. So it's not about perfection, but it's about life transformation. And it's the trajectory of our life. It's the walk of our life. So are we going, Lord, uh, is Lord God allowing us to go from strength to strength, glory to glory, and faith to faith? And then next, vocational discipleship. 94% says, I want to use my unique talents and gifts to honor God. So this is big, right? So if we just kind of put our kids off in kids' church and we forget about them, and we just like sing cute songs, you know, let's clap our hands for Jesus, yay! But, but even at a young age, they can do so much more than we imagine, than we can imagine, right? They're able to do things that blows our mind. Uh, my daughter was just telling me, my youngest, she's seven, she said, oh, I was watching uh, Daddy, there's a 10-year-old, maybe he was five or six, because, you know, she's seven. So. But it was a little kid, she saw uh, uh, on YouTube, watched another YouTube clip to learn how to drive because he wanted to drive to McDonald's and drove to McDonald's. I don't know if he made it in one piece, but I got to verify this story. But I just heard about that from my daughter. That is fascinating. And, and you see, like, kids are far more capable of doing things than sometimes we give them credit for. And so even right now, my, my girls, they have on the kids' church shirt, uh, one's 11 and one's 13, and they're serving in kids' church now. They're serving in kids' church now. My son, he's always on his iPad. I know I'm working on it, so don't judge me. We, I do have a time limit on there. It's like, is that Pastor Tim's son? How come he's always on his iPad? But I've been talking to him. I'm trying to get him on that iPad, you know, back in the media team. So it's a work in progress, okay? I don't know if that's going to happen or not. But I'm like, son, come on. You got to serve here. And I want him to use what he knows and, and his giftings and his time, I want him to already start investing it within the church. I want him to know he has a place here to serve the larger body of Christ. And so for these young people have stuck in the church is because somebody gave them an opportunity to serve. And they realize that their life has value in giving within the church. But this is where I want to really zero us in. Like, oh, finally, it took so long. No, all those, all those statistics are important, Okay. I, I purposely spent time in that because I believe it, even as I was going through those statistics, it was speaking to us, especially if for those of us with kids in the home that we're raising. So this, uh, this is really big. Meaningful relationships. This applies to every one of us. Whether you're single here, you don't have kids, or maybe you're empty nesters, and your kids are like out in different states and already have their own families, or you're like me, you're in the midst of it right now, and you have kids at home. Meaningful relationships, that's what this church can provide. Every single one of us in here, in this room, no matter how many gray hairs on our head or how many piercings we have, we can provide meaningful relationships. Okay, 89% said that the church is a place where I feel like I belong. So when we come, do we just like, oh, I hope I get the seed I want when I come to church? And when we come here, are we just focused on, I hope the worship team picked my favorite songs this morning. <laughs> and then I, hope, I hope the pastor makes me laugh and not makes me mad, you know, about what he's going to preach. And then we're just fixated on ourselves. Or when we come, do we, do we look at, okay, who can I bless today in the church? Who can I encourage? Who can I speak wisdom and truth into and, and, and be able to just pour in, you know, and, and so we're surrounded by young people. I know we don't have a, a tremendous amount of young people here at the downtown congregation, but overall, Pearlside Church, we are called to re reach the next generation, and this is, this statistic right here that I'm camping on now, and I'm going to read the one on, can you go to the opposite side now? 77%. It says, when growing up, I had close personal friends who were adults from my church. That's big. Three out of four people that stuck in the church, that stuck in their faith with Christ, three out of four that stuck said, because I had a close personal friendship with an adult within my church. And that's, that's the story of this church. 
Back in uh, 1996, when I came and the church was only two years old, it, we just started our youth services at that time. And I, I came into a room and I was like, this is crazy. I, it's a room full of young people excited to be here, passionate to worship Jesus. And it, it, that excitement drew me in like, oh, I want to be excited too. You know, because I'm, I'm 15 years old, and I wanted to know, what are you guys jumping about? What are you guys raising your hands about? Seeing people passionately worshiping Jesus allowed my heart to be open to this Jesus. And since that day, I never looked back, since the first day I walked into church. But what was more significant to me, instead of just the young people, because young people can get excited about all kinds of things, right? And then a week later, you're like, man, that was a bad idea. <laughs> Of course, I'm not referring to church, but other things, right? Young people going to some rager, some other party, like everyone got excited to do this, bonfire at the beach, cops come, you know, arrest everybody. Man, that was a bad idea, right? And, and so what it was, was being surrounded by adults. So the center was all these young people, but the adults helped watch and also ran our small groups initially before we had small group leaders with the young people. It was different adults that led my first few small groups. In fact, one of them is Pastor Norman himself. Because I was friends with his daughter, he probably wanted to see, like, what kind of kids are you hanging out with, you know? And unfortunately, the stories are true. I did reek of marijuana coming into his house. Uh, he, he says that all the time, and he's always like, but I don't know to this day if Tim is joking or not when he says it's just secondhand, okay? So I, we cruised in a minivan, um, and a Toyota Previa, if you remember those, they were like jelly beans, and, and all my friends smoked weed. So there's a lot of weed smoke going to Pastor Norman's house for small group. But here's the amazing thing, okay? Pastor Norman never rejected us or told us, get out of my house if you're just going to come high. But he continued on with small group, loving on us, praying with us, as well as many other adults during that time. And even if they weren't my small group leaders, it was on... on you know, Friday nights and Sunday nights when I go to our youth gatherings where these adults would come and how can I pray for you? Or asking me, how was your week? And, and really believing in me and pouring into me, encouraging me with the word of God. That had such significant impact in my life. So what we see here is that the gospel is meant to go to all generations. As we continue in verse 5 through 7, we read this earlier. I'm going to revisit it once more. It says, He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed the, a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach their children, and the next generation might know them. The children yet unborn and arise to tell them to their children so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. So here you see multiple generations learning about the hope in God and the law of God or the word of God. Okay, the hope of God and the word of God. And, and it's multiple generations. And I've shared this before, but this is such an a, a impactful picture of two different men's lives. Jonathan Edwards, who, you know, for those of us who study Christian history, that name is not unfamiliar to us because he's one of the fathers of the, um, the great revival that happened in the 1700s, right? And, but he was also a astute man that was very involved, um, was the president of Yale and had a great impact in the nation during that time. Well, he believed in Christian training and starting with his household. He married his wife, Sarah, who also believed the same as he did, the importance of teaching the next generation. So she was also a God-fearing woman. So they married in 1727, and they had 11 children. That's a lot of kids, yes. Amazing woman, 11 children. Well, an American educator, A.E. Winship, decided to trace the descendants of Jonathan Edwards for uh, almost 150 years after his death, and his findings are remarkable. And we're going to go into that in a moment. Um, but what we're going to do is, before we go into just the generational impact that Jonathan Edwards had just directly through his family line, we need to contrast with another man that lived in the same place, right, in that state of New York at the same time. His name is Max Jukes. So that's actually a mugshot photo of Max Jukes okay, in prison. 
So Jonathan Edwards never went to jail, so you don't get a mugshot of him. It's more of a drawing. Max Jukes. Um, so this is a man that was frequently found in prison, and he ended up marrying as well a woman of like character that didn't believe in God. In fact, she practiced the occult. And so this is, this is so what we're going to see next is uh, Max's legacy, okay? Max Jukes, the reason why it came to um, people's attention was from his family tree, they noticed at one time there's 42 different men in the prison system, the New York prison system. At one time, 42 different men that could trace their lineage back to Max Jukes at one time. And so they're like, what's going on? So they start to really investigate the, the children, the offspring of Max Jukes. So this is, this is astounding here. Jukes' descendants included seven murderers, 60 thieves, 190 prostitutes, 150 other convicts, 310 paupers who are beggars or people that lived on the streets. So 310 paupers and 440 who are physically wrecked and addicted uh, to alcohol. So of the 1,200 descendants that were studied, all related to Max Jukes from his line, 300 died prematurely. The family cost the state of New York $1.2 million dollars. Now, this is back in the 1700s and the 1800s, okay? So $1.2 million is a lot of money today, but it was an astronomical amount of money then. So that's how much they cost the state. Well, now let's look at Jonathan Edwards' family line and legacy from his wife, Sarah, with the 11 kids, and then their children and their children came one U.S. vice president, one dean of law school, one dean of medical school, three U.S. senators, three governors, three mayors, 13 college presidents, 30 judges, 60 doctors, 65 professors, 75 military officers, 80 public office holders, 100 lawyers, 100 clergymen or pastors, and 285 college graduates. The Edwards family did not cost the state a single dollar. Rather, they contributed and gave. They built. They helped. So you compare the two family lines between Max Jukes and his offspring and their kids and their kids and Jonathan Edwards and his kids and their kids. It's a night and day contrast. So what, is, what, it, what was the secret of Jonathan Edwards? Well, every night when Jonathan Edwards was home, he would spend an hour conversing with his family and praying a blessing over each of his 11 kids. They would, they would talk about the Bible. And so Jonathan and Sarah passed on a godly legacy to his children. And then their children. And it continued. That's the kind of impact we can have in this church. Whether you have kids or not. And so let's go back to this um, specific part of the passage we just focused on. In Psalm 78. It says, so that they should keep their, sorry, so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. So where does this hope come from? His, the hope comes from a man named Jesus, right? So it's not just Jesus resurrecting from the grave, like teaching cute Easter stories. But what is the significance of that? It's the importance of teaching kids the gospel message. That without Jesus, we have no hope. But because of Jesus, we freely can receive the gift of hope. And if you look around the world today, no matter what religion you are in or what you believe, anything else we put our hope in will leave us always feeling empty because only Jesus conquered the grave and only Jesus can forgive us of our sins. And a.k.a. He is our Savior. Teaching kids to understand and know that only Jesus is our Savior. There is no other way in which we can be saved. The Bible boldly declares that, and that is the truth. It's only through Jesus. And so everything else we can chase after, even if it's a meaningful life on our own, with having a, a wonderful marriage or a successful career or both and, will always leave us empty, even though the, the moment of 
happiness might feel joyful, but it's not eternal joy because only through Jesus in which our sins are forgiven can we have eternal hope. But not only that, Jesus is our Lord and Savior, so we also got to look at that part, Lord. So it says that, so they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep His commandments. So teaching our children to love God's commandments, to love God's word, to understand that this word is a supernatural word, that this book is not just an archaic text with old rules. It's so outdated, Dad. Don't you look at like what society or the Disney Channel and all these other things are teaching now? It's crazy, right? It's almost like you're swimming upstream now when you talk about the Bible. And people see it as bigotry, because of how far our society has drifted. But just because it's not popular, the Word of God is no longer popular, Jesus was never about a popularity contest anyways. Even during Jesus' time, He was highly unpopular. Yes, He had the crowds that flocked to Him for healing, but to the majority, the ruling government at the time and the ruling religious leaders at the time, they despised Jesus. They didn't like the teachings of Jesus. So honestly, nothing's changed much in the last 2,000 years, but we still have the Word, and it still survives today because it's an eternal Word. And so we need to teach our children and the next generation, young people, to continue to see and recognize that Jesus is Lord, that His words aren't just suggestions or good advice. His words isn't just self-help. But these are the literal words of God in which we are led by, lead our, live our lives by, because He is Lord. So when we look at Jesus and what can we pass on to the next generation, it's for them to recognize that Jesus is Lord and Savior. And so finally, we close with this idea that we are called to equip the next generation. It's not just sharing them the gospel and saying, okay, go on, be on your merry way, go read some books, read the holy book. <laughs> Sorry, movie references. Equip the next generation to build beyond their generation. So in Psalm 78, that was our main text. Now we're going to fast forward a bunch of verses to 60, verse 69 to 72. It says, he rejected the tent of Joseph. He did not choose the tribe of Ephraim. But he chose the tribe of Judah, Mount Zion, which he loves. He built his sanctuary like the high heavens, like the earth, which he founded forever. He chose David, his servant, and took him from the sheepfolds, from following the nursing ewes. He brought him to shepherd Jacob, his people, Israel, his inheritance. With upright heart, he shepherded them and guided them with his skillful hand. So this, what it's talking about is God guiding even in the Old Testament from generation to generation to generation. But here it references David and also talks about the house that God built. And if you recall, during our Made for uh, Greatness series, there's this one week we talked about the significance of the Ark of the Covenant. At that time, God's presence was embodied on earth through this Ark like a treasure chest. So for David, he got instructions from God, and his heart's desire wasn't just to return the ark back to the holy city, but to build a holy temple so that the ark was no longer just under a temporal tent. And so David's goal was to build the temple. But God specifically told him, you will not build the temple. And the reasoning when you read Scripture is because his blood, or sorry, his hands are a hands of war and it's covered in blood, so to speak, right? From all the bloodshed and all the fighting that he did. So he wanted, God wanted a man of peace because God is God of peace to build the, temp, to build the temple. And that came through David's son, Solomon. Now, if you had a dream, right, to, to build a great empire or business or whatever it may be to pursue something, can you imagine if God's like, no, you're not going to do it, but your offspring's going to do it. Initially, you might get riled up. You'd be like, God, why? You might shake your fist angrily at God. But this is my dream that you have given me. Why can't I build it? Well, in First Chronicles 
Chapter 17, verse 26 to 27, this is David's response when God told him that he wasn't going to build it, even though David was the one that got the plans for it. He had the heart for it. It says, David offered a prayer of praise. You, Lord, are God. You have promised these good things to your servant. Now you have been pleased to bless the house of your servant, that it may continue forever in your sight. For you, Lord, have blessed it, and it will be blessed forever. So David was thrilled. Even though it wasn't him, David thought generationally. He recognized that it's not directly me, but it's still coming through me. It's going to be through my kids and their kids. And so what I want to encourage us is for us to not think, okay, I got to do everything in this generation. Especially the day and age we live in, right? Some of us, we can't even stand in front of a microwave for three minutes. It's, it's hard for us to think three generations down the line. But if we go back, that's how society thought for many generations, that they realized that I'm just setting up the next generation. And what I'm building right now, I'm building to last for future generations. Oftentimes, we're just concerned about our own retirement and our own house. And we're not thinking of generationally, am I setting up the future houses that's going to come after me, the future households. And so David doesn't just tell Solomon about the plans to, to build the temple, but I love he equips them. He equips him, I'm sorry. So we see that also in First uh, Chronicles chapter 22, verse 14 to 16. David says, I have taken great pains. So this was costly, this was hard for David. He said, I've taken great pains to provide for the temple of the Lord a hundred thousand talents of gold, a million talents of silver. That's a lot because a talent, if you remember, I said was about, you know, 30 years of wages last week when I was talking about talents. So a million times 30 of silver. And that's besides the gold, right? So a million talents of silver, quantities of bronze and iron too great to be weighed, and wood and stone, and you may add to them. You have my workers, stonecutters, masons, carpenters, as well as those skilled in every kind of gold and silver, bronze and iron craftsmen beyond number. Now begin the work, and the Lord be with you. So this is David speaking to his son Solomon, saying, I have uh, created all the resources, the resources is not just the gold and the silver and the wood, but it's also the people. So David here is surrounding Solomon with the resources to build the temple. And, and we close with this. I know it's a lot from Chronicles, but First Chronicles, but I really want, to, want us to see all this happening. In First Chronicles, chapter 28, verse 9 through 11, um, Guitar, you can come up. It says, And you, Solomon, my son, know the God of your father and serve him with a whole heart and with a willing mind. I love this. So he's encouraging Solomon right now. So he not only gives him the, the necessary equipment and supplies, but now he's speaking into Solomon. He's giving him the, the truth, the encouragement, that this is the God of your father. So this is my God but then he's passing on this faith to Solomon. He says, serve him with a whole heart and with a willing mind. For the Lord searches all hearts and understands every plan and thought. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will cast you off forever. Be careful now, for the Lord has chosen you to build a house for the sanctuary. Be strong and do it. Then David gave Solomon, his son, the plan. And this plan wasn't David's plan. It was really from God through prayer that God told him how the temple was supposed to be built. Verse 19 says, All this he made clear to me in writing from the hand of the Lord, all the work to be done according to the plan. Verse 20, Then David said to Solomon, his son, Be strong and courageous and do it. Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed, for the Lord God, even my God, is with you. He will not leave you or forsake you until all the work for the service of the house of the Lord is finished. 
So David here is giving Solomon everything he needs. Not just on the outside, but more importantly on the inside. He's speaking life. He's speaking boldness. He's speaking faith. He's speaking courage. He's putting that inside of Solomon, inside of his heart, inside of his mind. And that's what we can do with the people around us. Are we investing our resources like what David did? Even though I don't get to enjoy this, just a little digression here, okay? And no one get offended. But in the Bible, there's nothing that really speaks on retirement. So retirement is not a biblical concept. Now, whether or not you are retired and you're traveling and all that, enjoy it. I'm not preaching against that. But what I am preaching against is retiring from the next generation. So no matter how old we get, no matter how long we've already been collecting our Social Security or 401k, we should never retire from speaking into the next generation's life, from investing and giving resources into the next generation. Because the last picture I want to leave us with, the reason why we are here is because we are part of a spiritual family, a chain that hasn't been broken. That chain started from the very beginning when God created the heavens and the earth, and that chain through the Old Testament we see was with the Israelites, the Jewish people. And then when Jesus came upon this earth, it became a message for all nations, for every single one of us, for the Gentiles. So it doesn't matter what our bloodline is. If, you know, you can do the 23 and me and like, oh, I got some Chinese. I'm actually 100% Chinese. It's like, oh, wow, I didn't know I'm part Puerto Rican. This is crazy. You know, so it doesn't matter what your bloodline is because your bloodline, your faith, your chain now is in the spiritual eternal family of God. And here's the thing, though. Okay, there's people who have gone before us, but who are we connecting after us? And so in my household, I was the first to start the spiritual family chain. But because other people, other men and women around me, as I said earlier, encouraged me, believed in me, gave me a chance. You know, Pastor Norman, actually, there's another pastor when I was, um, I'm not going to say his name, so don't ask. When I was 18, I crashed a church van. And I was doing, I was just like not doing well at, in my ministry assignments at 18 years old. Because I'm 18 years old. I, I, I just didn't know better. And, and he's like, you know what? If it wasn't for Pastor Norman, I would have fired you already. Told me that. So at first I was hurt because I was like, man, I'm supposed to be fired. And I just felt, you know, really, uh, I felt the pain of that. But then also came immediately the faith and the belief. Wow, Pastor Norman wants me to stay on staff even after all these um, things that I've done that should have got me fired. But thank God, because fast forward now, I don't know, like 20 years later, I still have a job <laughs> in this church. So you're like, man, I wish you fired him. <laughs> but it's because of the chain that Pastor Norman believed and didn't want to give up on me and the call of God on my life, because he already saw it then. Even though I didn't see it, I didn't know, I thought I was just cleaning bathrooms and parking the church van, right? I thought I was just doing those kind of things. But Pastor Norman saw that through my life was going to come future links. And so I went home, and for many years, I talked about this before, but it's so beautiful because I was able to then share faith with my parents at home, so my mom got saved a few years later, and then a few years later after that, my dad committed his life to Christ. But now my kids, the chain after me, I, I especially want them to know that God is not just some mythical being out there or just daddy's faith, but he is your God. And I'm already seeing signs of that because my kids, they don't go to sleep until, daddy, we, sometimes I'm too tired, I forget to pray. Daddy, we didn't pray tonight. And when I hear that, you know, even though it's like, man, how did I forget? But immediately, just like that moment I almost got fired here at this church, it, it's both pain and joy at the same time because it pained me that I didn't uphold the example of putting God first and making sure I pray. But it's also a reminder, wow, that my kids got it though. They're reminding me to pray. And so I'm proud at the same time, even though I'm humbled, proud of the faith that my kids are grabbing onto 
And um, earlier, uh, one of our leaders, she's a preschool teacher, she, she was experiencing pain in class. I think she had a stomach ache or something. And then one of her kids in, that she was teaching, preschool class, um, you know, Miss Chanel, can I pray for you? Amazing. The faith of that child. I've experienced something like that with my own kids. Uh, my second daughter, I w- she was four years old. And I cut my toe, uh, you know, those sprinklers outside. I didn't see I was wearing slippers. And I was carrying something, and I just, like, swiped it, and I was, like, bleeding profusely from my big toe. And then my little, uh, my, my second daughter, she, she came up, and she saw it. She starts to bend down, reaching her hand towards it. I'm like, Zara, what are you doing? Don't touch it, you know, because it was really painful, and there was blood everywhere. And she's like, she looks at me all startled. She's like, no, Daddy, I was just stretching my, forth my hands to pray. Four years old, I wanted to pray. Because she knows the power of prayer, because she knows the power of God. And so I pray every night with my wife. We pray twice, okay, at, at night. I pray with my kids before they sleep, and I pray with my wife every night. Every night, if you could hear my prayers, every night I always pray this. This is one of the most important things I pray, is that God not only help my uh, marriage my wife and I glorify you and continue to follow you, but I always include this. But I especially pray that my children, every one of them, will know you and choose, choose to follow you. I don't want them to be forced into following God just because daddy's the pastor or because it's the right thing to do, but I pray every night that they will see God for who he is, recognize his grace and mercy, that He is their Savior, and but He's also their Lord, that they will choose to follow Him. And so every one of us, we can pray that as well. Even if you don't have kids, you can pray. Many of you, maybe you have kids in the neighborhood. Maybe you work with people that have kids. Maybe you are an uncle or auntie by blood, and your nephews and nieces, maybe they're not in growing up in a godly household. Well, you are related to them. You can be a part of that. You can be part of the chain that links them to the next link, and then to the next link, and then to the next link. So with every head bow, we're going to just pray right now.